either in or you're out. Welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D, a presentation of Osage Advisors. Welcome back once again to the ins and outs of selling a business. My name is David Yaz from the Boston Podcast Network here alongside me, at least virtually. I mean, it is still 2020. After all, I have Keith D, the founder and CEO of Osage Advisors. You hanging in there, my friend? Dave, I'm hanging in there. And it's interesting because you just reminded me that, you know, you and I have been working together for several months now. And we have never met in person. I know. I knew you were going to say that. I yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, it, it, I said, who is this guy? Right. So yeah. Yeah. And it is a shame, but it's also, I guess, a blessing in that if this had happened a hundred years ago, we wouldn't have the benefit of all the technology that we have. But you're right. I've, when I meet some people in person that I've met over the past year, I think both of us will, will probably be a little bit surprised. You don't actually know how tall everybody is, for example, because <laughs> everyone's right. always sitting down. But um, it's, it's, so we're banned from your state right now, right? We can't come over to the line here. We're based in Connecticut. Yeah. And for me to go to Massachusetts, it's going to take me uh, about three weeks before I get accepted. <laughs> but we'll just keep on going like we're going right now. And hopefully this too shall pass, right? That's right. The, the great philosopher said, may you live in interesting times. And uh, these are certainly interesting, if nothing else. Oh, yeah. But we'll get through it. So thanks for tuning in again to this podcast, this uh, continuing series that Keith is providing a, a lot of, of knowledge. And we're getting great feedback on this. So by the way, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast so that you get notifications on all the new episodes. Today, the topic is bridging the valuation gap between a seller and a buyer. So I feel like we're taking steps and steps along this journey, Keith. And last episode, we talked about valuing the business. Now we get to the moment is whether the seller and the buyer are going to differ on what that business is worth. So tell us in a preliminary sense, how do you approach this and explain things to your client as to how that, I guess, negotiation will go? So typically through uh, our auction process, we bring in several bids to to present to our clients. And we end up meeting with maybe a half dozen parties and meetings. So after the meetings, we we get we negotiate and get to the letter of intent. And, and then we go into due diligence. Mm-hmm. And due diligence, when the buyer comes in, he's kicking the hair, she's kicking the tires and looking at the numbers and in every deal that we work on, there's always a, if we're, if we're selling in the middle of the year, there's an estimate, there's a projection for for 2000, for 2020 or 2021, whatever year you're in. And it's expectation. So when someone bids on your company and you come, you lock down a letter of intent, it's based on typically a multiple of the EBITDA that everybody's kind of looked at. So if it's a 2 million EBITDA company and we got a $15 million deal on the table, they're going to start doing their due, their, their due diligence. And so what happens is maybe things happen so you you don't hit your numbers, right? I.e. a pandemic that we're going through now. So your EBITDA comes in, say, a half million dollars short, okay? And of where you want it to be. And that could be because it's delayed in an order, uh, obviously, the pandemic right now, maybe you had to shut the plant down for a week or so because of because of COVID, unfortunately. It'd be, it could be the fact that you just missed your numbers, mm-hmm. right? You just you know, over-projected and things didn't happen. Or a customer pulled out, like I said earlier. So you got a half million dollars of a difference. And so if someone were to say, just for example, 
So they offered a six multiple. So six multiple half million dollars is $3 million. And so there's a valuation gap there. How are we going to fill that? What do you do from a buyer and a seller perspective to make it work? So you have a willing buyer and a willing seller. Everybody's been transparent. They like each other. They want to do a deal. But from a seller perspective, I don't want to leave $3 million on the table or whatever the number is. It could be a couple hundred thousand, whatever the number is, right? So and it's just it's just the economics of a situation happened with uh, you didn't come in. So how do we do that? How do we fix that? How do we bridge that gap in this situation that can work? So there's a couple ways that can be uh, utilized to come up with a solution that works for everybody. A typical way of doing is called, in the trade, called an earnout. What that means is that if you earn back to that level of sales and profitability over, say, a one or two or three year period, we're happy to pay you out. Meaning, so example, if you're a mil- if you were going to do two million dollars, you end up doing a million and a half. You have the half million dollar difference. If you get to, say, a million seven fifty in the next year, we'll pay that. We'll pay you six times to two fifty. And if you get to the two million in, in in year two, or even more, we'll pay you that multiple, so you get your three million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's one way of doing it. So, the key thing there is, if you're an owner, you want to kind of be around to. Do- to direct that, meaning that you don't want to just bank on the new owners coming in or buyers coming in, and that if they get to those certain numbers, that they'll pay you out. So from an ownership standpoint, say you wanted to transition out over a year or so, now you're looking at two years, but it could be it's worth it could be worth to you, right? It's worth to you that you know, I could pick up another couple million dollars in, in value if I help focus on driving revenues and profitability. And how you structure that earnout is it's detailed in the uh, asset purchase agreement or stock purchase agreement by your drafted by the attorneys. But the bottom line is, where is that earnout? How do you structure earnout? So you construct the easiest way to structure earnout is off of sales. And that's because that's an easy number to audit, right? You, just go, you, know, you did 5 million in sales this year. If you do 6 million next year, we'll pay you X. If you do 7 million year after, we'll pay you Y. Mm-hmm. Very simple. But if you do it off of profitability, or net income, or adjusted EBITDA, then you have all these other factors involved that get sellers potentially concerned or nervous or just apprehensive to get comfortable with that. And as so they don't want to say, if say XYZ company buys your company, they don't want them all of a sudden throwing all this overhead into your business. So reducing profitability, so you never hit your earn out. That's the initial gut reaction from a seller, which is legitimate. But if you were to correctly in the documents, there's ways, ways to protect yourself. Two is most buyers want you to hit that earnout because that means you're building the business. Business is growing. Mm-hmm. So look, we're happy to pay the money because if you hit that number, we're going to be excited that you've hit the number, the business is growing and we'll pay you out. So that's that's one way of of, of handling that quote, gap. Uh, Other ways you can handle that gap in this situation would be, you may be able to build something into an employment agreement or management agreement with the, uh, with the seller. So, so you're going to stay on for a couple of years. And if you hit certain targets, we're going to pay you a bonus. Mm -hmm. hundred percent of your salary, 50% of your salary, whatever. 
And sometimes that works where you have multiple owners that want to sell for various reasons, and they're willing to accept certain terms and values at closing, but you may have other owners who are involved that want to kind of hold out. They say, I don't really want to, I want more. I want X or something like that. And so you may be able to structure management agreements. Everybody transparent, everybody, everybody's on board with this, but that gives those additional incentives that the buyer, the sellers that are staying on with the company, that they can get that. They can, they can earn a nice bonus that would pay out that will maybe not cover the whole difference in valuation you have, but give, at least get them to a point where they're comfortable moving forward with it. Another way is, is obviously if, if you're working with a, a private equity buyer, they want you rolling equity into the deal. So if you were rolling, say, 20% of the company that you're going to partner with and to grow it, there could be incentives that, that, that building that value of the business will, in the future, will increase your equity percentage. So there's various ways to do it when you run into a situation where you don't hit your numbers. Let me ask you about your role in this, Keith. Is it your role to be the level-headed person and sometimes maybe even talk down your client if their eyes are bigger than their stomach, to, <laughs> to use a, a, a tired cliche? Well, yeah, our role is to, be, is, is to kind of run through understanding what's important to them, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they don't have to do the deal. Right. I mean, if I said like, you know, screw it, I'm going to wait, I'm going to build it and I'm going to go, but you know, everybody's heavily invested. So let's see if we can find a solution. Right. And our job is to listen. Okay. Let's talk through some scenarios that would work for you that will allow you to feel comfortable moving forward with the transaction. And I'll give you a situation that we're in right now. We have a company that's been impacted fairly significantly from the COVID. On a normal year, they're doing, uh, say, two, two million EBITDA, right? This year, they're going to do a million, right? Mm -hmm. But they have a real opportunity in the next couple years to prosper with some new technology, et cetera, which we're not going to get to right now. But there's a hand, there's multiple owners. The other owners, they're at the end of the runway, they just say, look, this is a good deal for you. You work out how you work your deal out. We just want to sell it and move on, right? So the younger owners in this case, let's just say is, okay, how, what, what, what should we be looking at? How can we structure this deal that makes sense for me or the two of us? And so we'll sit down, we can do a couple of things, right? We can say a normal year is X, the company's worth Y is worth, worth and, then, and then, but today you're worth Z because business, you didn't lose the business. It's just been postponed, deferred. I mean, your clients and customers have said, look, we believe in your product. We want your product, but we just got to wait because we can't even have you in a factory right now. Right? So we can't do it. So we're going to buy it. As soon as this COVID clears, we're going to be back in business and we're going to move forward. So you got a gap of in this case is, you know, since we started this pandemic about a year. So we're negotiating right now ways that are going to work for our client. And it's really like, okay, let's look at like three or four things. Uh, we talked about the earnout, which we just talked about, a percentage towards the earnout. We talked about you know, rolling equity, maybe increase the percentage you want to roll a bit. 
say you roll 20, 20%, maybe roll 25% because you have a little bit of upside in the back end. And then the third piece is structuring their employment agreement in a way where they achieve certain milestones that are set between the buyer and the seller before we close the deal on their employment agreements on the sales front and profitability front that they will get bonuses out. So those are, so we're handling all that on their behalf, but we got to make sure that they're comfortable with this approach. And we want, that's why we'll go through a bunch of scenarios of how we want to structure it. And they may come up with some things that we even thought about. Why don't we do this? Okay. What's going to make you feel good about it? Or at least get you a point where you're comfortable moving forward with the transaction. So we spend a lot of time in this area and we are always advocating for our clients to get the thing, the deal that makes sense for them. At the end of the day, it could be as simple as we agree to an earnout and uh, we move forward. Or it could be much more complicated. Or it could be that the client just decides that, look, I just, I'm going to wait, mm-hmm. right? That's their decision. But we try to find a solution and then we negotiate on their behalf with the buyer so they can be in the background, understanding, because they're going to have to work with these people long-term, at least on a short-term basis, but typically longer term, to find a solution. And again, if you have a willing buyer and a willing, and a willing seller, you should be able to find a solution that works for everybody, especially when everybody's spent so much time into a situation like this, trying to get a deal done. So, You mentioned that you're an, an advocate, which is exactly what someone would want someone representing their interest in the table. And so if it's your job to close that gap, you need to have ammunition to show the potential buyer that there is perhaps a little bit more value than meets the eye here. It sounds like that entails assembling reports, doing calculations and such. Are you kind of a one-stop shop when it comes to that? Or would the client need to also employ a financial advisor or an accountant or anything like that? So, we, we work with our clients on, we look for them to produce the internal forecasts and projections um, and budgets, whatever you want to call them for the, for the future years, right? So, but once we, we hone those down, and so what we want to understand is what caused the gap and fully understand that gap. So we're going to talk to our client, we're going to talk to their financial, you know, their controller, CFO, or accountant, whoever is handling their books. And what, what what were the key reasons for that gap that caused a downturn? And what is going to happen in the future that's going to bring us back? And those could be sales pipeline reports, forecast reports. Again, complete forecast and an income statement forecast for the next three years. And so we'll lay that out with the buyer that here's where this is what happened, this is why it happened. This is the reason why this is where we see the turn going back up. And this is where we're going to see it. Because these guys, oh, anybody, any buyer of uh, consequence is already doing modeling. It's called financial modeling, right? They're, right? they're out there and they've already modeled this deal for the future opportunity. So we're going to kind of layer into that. They don't show us their financial models, but... They're going to take what we provide them and layer into their thinking and then come up with a solution that works for both parties. So 
we do spend a lot of time with our clients understanding what caused it and explaining that in detail, total transparency to the buyer and where we see the turn and moving forward based on internal projections moving to year, year one, year two, year three, and how a deal would look. So that is a you know critical component of what happened. So, but you know, it could be, I mean, again, if you lose a major, I mean, if you lose a major customer that caused that loss, you likely lost, you're looking at a buyer that couldn't come back in and either walk away or they're going to reprice the deal. Mm-hmm. They're going to come back and say, okay, I offered you 10 million, but now I'm offering you six. They still want to do it, but at a much lower value. And you got to look at it and say, look, I don't want to do it at six. Or you may say, fine, I may just want to get out of it. And I'll take the six and go, right? But you want to bridge that gap. Say, look, I mean, I didn't lose this customer. They went, they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to come back. This has happened before. New management over there, they think they can get it cheaper, they think it better, they think it better quality. And the fact is, three months later, they come back and say, Look, you know what? You guys do a better job. You actually deliver it on time, but your pricing is good and good quality. And so we want to restart our relationship. We've had a situation with that. Mm-hmm. A client had 60, they knew a new manager came, new purchasing person come in, they want to put their stake in the ground, they put it out to bid, they go to a low cost provider, and then three months later, their boss comes to them and says, why did you move away from Joe's business? Mm-hmm. Right. And because these guys aren't delivering what they're supposed to deliver, go back to Joe. Right. So there's a history going on sometimes behind the scenes. The buyer doesn't see that, but you see that. And so there's a million reasons that can cause that. But at the end of the day, it's, you got to make a decision whether you want to reprice the deal and take a deal, or we can be put some, like we said, bridge that gap, put some structure, come up with a, a, a solution that works for our clients and that the buyer buys into. But you got to perform, right? You're going to have to be there. You're going to have to perform. If you perform and you achieve it, you can pay it out or at least a part of it. And you've already taken some money off the table. you got some money stolen. you got you got more money sitting there that you can go get by performing and executing on what you said you will deliver. And if you deliver 100%, you get 100% of it. If you deliver 80%, you get 80% of it. But at least, you're, look, you're selling your company. It's a one-time transaction. So if you can sell it and get a certain amount off the table now and be comfortable with a, a deal where you can bridge that gap to get that money down the road, it's to most sellers, it makes sense. Well, once again, a lot to think about and a lot for you to discuss with your clients on this topic. And I, I take it uh, the best way to get started is to simply get in touch with you and start the process. Why don't you, Keith, please let people know how they can do that. Thanks, Dave. So again, it's Keith, the Osage Advisors. Uh, Feel free to call me anytime. Phone number is 860-767-3273-1001. Or feel free to see me on the website uh, at osageadvisors.com or shoot me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Thank you. Great stuff as usual, Keith. We encourage people, if you're enjoying this podcast, and we hope you are, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you, or wherever you get your podcast, so you get notifications as to when the next episode will drop. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you the next time on the ins and outs of selling a business. <laughs>